0: Merry Christmas and welcome back to the podcast. This week I'm going to be playing you a sermon I gave for my church, a sermon uh, based on Mary's song, a song that helps us understand what's going on in the manger. I hope you find it useful. Well, it's nearly here. The tinsel is up, the batteries and the lights have been changed, the wreath is on the door. It's almost Christmas. One whoop in here, just so you know outside. Now, one aspect of Christmas that I feel is particularly underrated, I mean, I have to make the case to my wife every year that this is the case, is the Christmas playlist. Am I right? I mean, we rarely talk about it, don't we? But without it, there's just something simply missing. I mean, Mariah Carey blasting all I want for Christmas is you. As we open presents, we've wanted all year why I'm not singing this tonight at the Carol Service. Paul McCartney singing, simply having a wonderful Christmas time as the kids are fighting in the corner. I mean, Christmas music, it gives us the feeling of what we think Christmas should really be like, even when things aren't going to plan. What is the soundtrack to your Christmas. What is the soundtrack to your Christmas? What is the song that you would have on repeat in your ears all of Christmas Day, if you could? Well, I'm not alone in thinking that Christmas music is important. Uh, Luke, the author of this gospel here, he agrees with me. As we come to the story of Jesus' birth here in Luke chapter 1, we're meant to have music in the back of our minds. But I reckon one of the biggest problems we have when we come to these kind of passages is that we have the wrong sort of music in our heads. We come to the text, don't we, with jingle bells, jingle bells, or in the bleak midwinter, snow on, snow on, snow. We come with those ideas in our head, don't we, to the text. But Luke wants us to put our headphones on and listen to the music as we hear about Jesus' birth. But not just a a bit of Mariah, or a bit of McCartney. Instead, like a good Christmas DJ, Luke is giving us the background music he wants us to hear. Because without the right music, we're not gonna get the point of what Luke is doing here. The scene, it won't be set. We're gonna miss the key details. We're gonna hear the announcement, it's a boy! And we're not gonna know what to do with it. What is going on with the baby in the manger? I mean, it's, it's actually pretty easy to miss. Have you ever noticed just how long the birth account of Jesus actually is? Perhaps you've never seen this before. To be honest, I wouldn't blame you for missing, missing this because it's over in the blink of an eye. Just have a look at your Bibles. If you were to accidentally skip a line of the text, you're going to miss it. Just have a glance, next page, literally the next page of the Red Church Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 2, 1 to 7 is the section. And even if you look at that, most of it's taken up by the census. Have a look at verses 6 and 7 of Luke chapter 2. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them that's it. That's the whole reason for the season. The whole birth story that we spent the whole day with our families celebrating, it's all done in the space of two verses. I mean, you'd be forgiven for missing the point if you were to just go off those two verses alone. But just like the master Christmas DJ, Luke gives us the significance of what's going on here by playing the right background music. Not Jingle Bells, not Mariah Carey, but four songs. Four songs that we're going to look at over this Christmas time. The soundtrack gives us the explanation of what is going on here. And the very first tune is found now in our reading today, Luke chapter one, 46 to 56. What's going on with the baby in the manger? Well, let's spin the discs. Luke says. Because what is going on with the baby in the manger is everything, absolutely everything that God's people were looking forward to is coming true. Everything God's people were looking forward to is coming true. So as we look at the Christmas story, as we look at the birth, at the small baby in the nativity scene this Christmas, we can be certain that all of God's promises are found in that baby. We can see the significance of the baby in the manger. Well, let's see that in this Song of Mary, shall we? Because the first thing I want us to see, the first thing Luke wants us to see in his passage, in verses 46 to 49, is that God is breaking into history. Point one, if you're taking your notes this morning, God is breaking into history. Just look at how God works supernaturally with Mary. Notice how Mary talks about what God has done for her. In fact, spot all the me language going on in these verses, okay? Verse 46 to 49. Mary said, My soul glorifies in the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the the humble state of his servant. From now on, all nations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Luke presents Mary as a nobody. That might surprise you. It might sound a little bit harsh, actually. But just look at how uh, Luke introduces other women in his gospel. In fact, let's have a look at Luke chapter 1. Because Mary's relative Elizabeth... Well, she gets a rather impressive introduction in verses 5 and 6. Just flick your Bibles back a page. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Elizabeth, she's the wife of a priest. And not only that, the wife of the priest who got to go into the temple to do incense. And not only that, she herself was related to Aaron, the very first high priest. And not only that, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. And they did everything blamelessly. Well, that's an introduction, isn't it? How about Mary? Let's have a look at Mary, shall we? Verse 27. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Do you see the difference? Not only does Mary's significance come from who she's pledged to marry, but she's also from the backwaters of Galilee. In fact, Mary is basically a a nobody from Nowheresville. But Mary gets the significance of what's going on. Have a look again at verses 46 and 47. Mary's soul glorifies the Lord. Her spirit rejoices in God, her saviour. Mary is totally, completely in praise of what God is doing through her. She clocks that God is saviour, that through what is going on in her womb, she will be saved If you've been here over the last few months, you'll know that's big language for Luke. This is the very first time in Luke's gospel that we see the save words. The word save that is so important to the rest of Luke's gospel. Right here, saviour. She also understands how great a thing it is for God to use her. Verse 48, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. By saying that, Mary is connecting herself to a whole load of other women throughout the Bible. I don't know if you've ever flicked uh, through the Bible before. If you've been in growth groups, you might have seen this. But it is striking. It's really striking how many barren women, that's women who aren't able to have children, you find throughout the Bible story. It's as if it's a big theme in the Bible. Just name them. You've got Sarah. You've got Rebecca. You've got Rachel. You've got Hannah. The list goes on and on and on. And it even takes us to Elizabeth, Mary's relative. See, in the ancient world, to be unable to have children, it's a disaster. If your husband was to die, or you were to grow old, you'd have no one to provide for you. It would make you humble, it would be humiliating. In fact, we were talking about Mary's song being the soundtrack to Christmas. It turns out that Mary's song is actually a remix of a number of other songs. Who'd have thought that this DJ illustration is going to have so many legs, eh? Because in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we hear the song of a woman named Hannah. Hannah was barren. Hannah was unable to have children. But God opened her womb and Samuel, a great Old Testament prophet, was born. And in this song, Mary is remixing a lot of Hannah's song from 1 Samuel 2. She's saying the same things. In fact, we're meant to see Mary a bit like a Hannah. It's a good job that copyright law wasn't invented in first century Nazareth. But when you think about it, that language is a bit odd. It's a bit odd when you really think about it. We're not told that Mary is barren. In fact, she's not even married yet. She's barely at the start of considering motherhood. But we are told one thing, aren't we? We're told she's a virgin. The volume is being dialed up to 11. God is breaking in here in a more drastic way than he has ever broken in before. In a way that climaxes every previous story. Not just a woman being unable to have a child, but here, God working through a virgin. I mean, that wins the Christmas top trumps, doesn't it? That is a reason to glorify and rejoice in God. God is breaking into history in the biggest way yet. Verse 49, the mighty one, holy is his name. He has done great things for me, for Mary. She's going to be called blessed for generations to come, not because of anything she's done, but because of what God has done for her. See, when we look at that baby in the manger, as we hear of him this Christmas, As we see the children doing their nativities, we had our first ever one this year. As we see the pictures on our Christmas cards, as we look at nativity scenes on our fireplaces, yes, we do see a baby. But more than that, we see a history-changing baby. A baby that changes Mary's life, yes, like every first-time mum, but also as the climax of a much bigger story. A story of women all the way through the Bible. As we see this baby this morning, we can know that God is involved in history. That God does care about what is going on in the world. I mean, it can look, when you look outside, that this world is pretty godless. It can seem, can't it, that things are getting more and more out of control. But in the back streets of the backwaters of a small country in the Middle East somewhere... God was at work. And that baby's a game changer. God is breaking into history. Well, the music plays on. Because in verses 50 to 53, Mary is going to mix in another song into her Christmas hit. We've had hints at it in the words used in the previous verse, in fact. And this tune is going to tell us our second point this morning. What is going on with the baby in the manger? Well, the next thing that Mary wants us to see in this baby, point number two, God is rescuing his people. Have a look at verses 50 and 53. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Mighty one, holy, mercy, mighty deeds with his arm, scattered, brought down. Those are all words from the Exodus. The Exodus, where God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. I mean, that's the big rescue that all other rescues are modeled on in the Bible. And Mary is connecting us to that. Through her song. Mary is saying that God is rescuing his people, like he has with her in the previous verses, and like he has before. If you've been to a traditional uh, carol service at Christmas, you'll know that once in Royal David City tends to start with a young chap uh, doing a solo at the start. One person sings uh, the opening verse, and then everybody joins in. I mean, If you go to my parents' house at Christmas, you'll find a little chubby kid, looks a bit like me, uh, singing that very verse before everyone else comes in. Well, here in Mary's song, something similar happens. Just notice how we move from what God has done for Mary in the previous verses to a wider, a more general audience. As the solo has turned to everybody, the me stuff is now gone, and verse 50 applies to everyone who fears God. All of God's people, through this baby, everyone can know salvation, like Mary. Now on our fireplace, I've left in my pocket here, we have a nativity scene. I don't know if you've got one similar. It's quite an interesting nativity scene, actually, because there's something they've done, which I can't tell you if it's deliberate or not, but it's a little detail that just really stands out. I mean, it's a very basic nativity set. I mean, it looks like this. Here's are some, p- some of the parts of it. It's one that a toddler, like my little girl, can't wreck. But one of the details is on their faces. I'm not sure if this is deliberate or not, but every character, even the little sheep, has a smile on its face. As I say, I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but I think they've got something massively right here. See, this is not just good news for the parents. This is good news for all of creation, for all who trust God. Because this baby is God's mercy on display. And through this baby, God is going to show his strength, just like he did at the Exodus. I mean, who knew you could play the soundtrack to the Prince of Egypt in your Christmas playlist this year? But through this baby, God is going to judge his enemies Now, when we hear the word judge, we tend to think of it in a very negative way, don't we? Judgment is something that nobody wants to face. But when judgment comes, it is good for some people, isn't it? Just think about the judge in a court. The judge hands down his judgment. Well, the judgment is good for those who are in the right. It's bad for those who are in the wrong, of course. But here in verses 51 to 53, we get the same picture. He, that's God, has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. See, in these verses, God is able to turn a banker into a busker. He's able to turn a politician into a pauper. He's decreated Egypt at the Exodus, and through this baby in the manger... He's going to do the same thing again. But notice, just notice who it is this judgment is against. I mean, this isn't Santa Claus thumbing it to town. He's not going to find out who's naughty or nice, verse 51. This is judgment against the proud. This is God opposing those who lift themselves up. This is God opposing those who look at God's salvation plan, look at God's rescue, and they think to themselves, I don't need that. I can, do, I can do this all on my own. Those who rely on having stuff. Those who think that right now they have everything that they need. Those who store up things for themselves but aren't rich towards God. So as we look at the baby in the manger, we see how God is going to judge the world. How God is going to deal with the world and put things the right way up again. Rulers are going to be brought down, the humble are going to be lifted up. Those who trust in God, not in their own power. God is going to raise up. Those like Mary, who know they don't deserve anything. Those like Mary, who consider themselves nobodies from nowhere. Those who look at the baby in the manger and see God's rescue plan. Who throw themselves at God's rescue, seeing seeing it as the only way. Those who could say something like, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. World orders will be toppled. God is rescuing his people. You see, that baby in the womb of a nobody in backwater Galilee is going to change the world. And that leaves us all, every single person here this morning, every single person watching online, with a challenge this morning. Does the baby that you see in the manger in your child's nativity, in your Christmas scene at home, does that baby match up with what Mary sees here? Here's a challenge for you this Christmas. Is your Jesus too small this Christmas? When we look at the baby in the manger, do we really believe that he can turn a banker into a busker? When we look at the baby in the manger, do we think he can make a prince into a pauper? Or do we still believe that power is something that we can make for ourselves? Do we still think we can save ourselves? See, as we look at the baby in the manger, God is telling us that he will judge. He will make this world right. There will be justice. As believers across the world at this time are persecuted for their faith, You only have to look at open doors or go to Release International or simply open a newspaper at this time of year. As tyrants strut on the world stage. As people rise up and declare that God is dead and they're in control. God says this Christmas and every Christmas, look at the baby. Listen to the soundtrack and know that there lies the world changer. As I say, there's a warning and a challenge to all of us here today. So take another look at that manger, hear the music, and trust God to save. Because through that baby, God is rescuing his people. And finally, the last track that Mary has mixed into her record this morning is found in verses 54 and 55. What is going on with the baby in the manger? Well, point three, final point this morning. God is keeping his promises. God is keeping his promises. Have a look at verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, each Christmas, uh, Izzy and I, we have a a challenge in our household. We have a problem that needs resolving. We have a question that just has to be answered. What are we going to get Nan? You see, Marks and Spencers, they have a whole load of things you can buy. But after a while, she has all the things they call Christmas trinkets, I call them Christmas tat, that they have to offer. I mean, having our oldest start at school this year, Well, it's done wonders because now we have photos that we can give for Christmas. But still, what are we going to get Nan? Well, any suggestions you have this morning, please send them on a postcard or email me, Dave, at Christchurchhemel. That will be greatly received. But Mary is closing her song talking about her Nan. I mean, talking about her ancestors. You can see that clearly in the names she uses in these verses. Uh, Israel, Abraham, or more explicitly, our ancestors. I mean, those people, they have been waiting a long, long time for Christmas. Or to be precise, they've been waiting for the entirety of the Old Testament. Abraham in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, was promised that his descendant would bring blessing to the world. And Micah, he's at the the end of the Old Testament. He reminds us of those promises again. In the final chapter of the book of Micah, It says this, and just notice how similar it is to this verse here. God will be faithful to Israel and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. The tune of the whole Old Testament is found in God's promise to Abraham. The oath made to the ancestors all those years ago. And that promise, it still impacts us today. I mean, the baby in the manger, Mary says, is really important for us in 21st century Hemel Hempstead. The promise to Abraham is going to affect the whole world, from backwater Nazareth in Galilee, to the Middle East, to Europe, to the UK, to little old us here sitting in the cold in Hobbs Hillwood Primary School. God's plan to bless the entire world is found in the womb of Mary here. And so Luke, through Mary's song, he wants us to see that this baby in the manger is God keeping his promises right from the Old Testament. See, Mary doesn't have to ask what to get Nan, or great, 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 granddad, you get the idea, this Christmas. Because in this baby in the manger, all of God's promises to Israel, all of God's promises to Abraham, all of God's promises to the world have come. God is continuing to act in history, continuing what he started right back from the beginning of Genesis through this baby in Mary's womb, the baby in the manger. Mary sees it and Luke wants us this morning to see that too. And do you, do you grasp what that really means? That means that the solution to all, yes, all of the world's issues are found in the baby. Luke wants us to have certainty this morning that everything God has promised is coming about. I mean, to paraphrase Mariah Carey, deep down, all we want for Christmas is him. You might be listening to me right now and thinking he's exaggerating. That's what preachers do. They exaggerate their points. I mean, it might, be, uh, it might sound like an exaggeration to say that all the world's issues are resolved by this baby, But just think about it for a moment. If this here, if this baby in the manger is the promise to Israel come true, if this baby in the manger is the promise to Abraham, well, then this baby in the manger has to be the solution to the world's issues. Abraham was promised that blessing would come to the entire world through his offspring. God promised that. He he gave an oath securing it back in Genesis 12 to 17. But that promise given to Abraham was given in light of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. That moment when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and brought curse into the world. From Genesis 3 to 11, you just get curse, 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 curse. But then when we turn the page to Abraham, we get bless, bless, bless. See, all of the issues in our world, every single one of them starts where Adam and Eve failed. And all of the issues in our world then find their solution here, in the baby in the manger. That is what Mary wants us to see as we look at her child. And that means that there's only one place to find the solution to all our world's issues. The solution to covid and all the sicknesses that are bound to follow. The solution to corrupt politicians with all their cheese and wine parties. From the biggest pain, the biggest suffering in the world, to the personal, tiny, minute, inconsequential issues. Ultimately, the answer's all found here, in this baby in the manger. The promises to the ancestors are coming true, This baby is exactly what God promised to do all along. So this Christmas, have certainty of that. Have certainty that everything God is doing culminates in this baby, in the Lord Jesus. I mean, when you put it that way, it's no real surprise that Mary's song has been Christmas number one all over the world for many years, is it? It's a song that is sung all over the world at this time of year. We're going to sing our version of it in a moment, actually. But in this song, we're given the soundtrack to what is going on with that baby in the manger. We see everything God's people were looking forward to is coming true. From Mary herself, expanding out to all of those who trust God, including keeping the promises made earlier. All is being focused in on this one child lying there. In a manger. I mean, the story of the birth of Jesus—it's so basic, isn't it? But the soundtrack behind it is so rich, it's so detailed. As Luke pens those simple words, "And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son," the volume—it's dialed up to eleven, and the melody is blasting forward. So we can have certainty this morning that that baby, in the womb of a nobody in backwater Galilee, is the answer to everything. God has promised. We can have certainty this Christmas time that God has broken into history. We can have certainty this Christmas time that God cares about his people. We can have certainty this Christmas time that God can work in the smallest of details to bring about the biggest of promises. And if all that's true, then it does make what we celebrate at Christmas a big deal, doesn't it? When we sing the carols, we can really be joyful. We can agree that the hopes and the fears of all the years are met in you tonight. We can truly declare joy to the world, the Lord has come. We can simply have a wonderful Christmas time. So on Saturday, as the the turkey's in the oven, as the presents are being opened, As the mince pies are being finished, what's gonna be the soundtrack to your Christmas? My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Let's pray, shall we? Sovereign Lord, we thank and praise you that we can have certainty that the baby born to Mary is the answer to everything you promised in your word. May we have certainty this Christmas time that God has broken into history. Would we not lose the wonder and amazement of what you did in the rest of this season? Father, we ask, would you help us to keep the birth of Jesus front and centre? And may we have certainty this Christmas time that you do care about your people as we face another set of unknowns this year. Help us to know that you just haven't left things spinning, but instead are heavily involved in our lives. And Father, we ask that we may have certainty this Christmas time that you can work in the smallest of details to bring about the biggest of promises. Help us to realize that you are the one in control of all things. And we ask all of this in the name of the one found in that manger, the Lord Jesus Christ.